kinds of crazy stories about <laughs> what I remember. <laughs> you are listening to the Moonshine Murder and Mayhem podcast. Episode one, I tell crazy stories. Nestled in the back corner of Mount Zion Cemetery in Warren County, Tennessee, sits a tombstone that reads, Otis Slim Merritt, June 26, 1903, September 19, 1937. He is not dead, but asleep. My name is Bran Merritt. Before we get started, most importantly, I want this podcast to be in honor of and a dedication to my grandfather, Otis Dude Merritt, and also to my great-grandfather, Otis Slim Merritt, of whom I've never met, and whom my grandfather never got to know. I'm doing this for them. Moving forward, My grandfather will be referred to as Dude, and my great-grandfather will be referred to as Slim. My wife and I went to Gatlinburg, Tennessee for our second year wedding anniversary. We went to enjoy each other away from all the hustle and bustle of our everyday lives. Gatlinburg has been a staple tourist spot for most Tennesseans. It's also a popular spot for a certain drink. Branch water, White Lightning, Kickapoo, Happy Sally, Ruckus Juice, Joy Juice, Hooch, Panther's Breath, Mountain Dew, Hillbilly Pop, Skullcracker, Bush Whiskey, Stump, Mule Kick, Cat Daddy, Cool Water, Rock Gut. Though most people refer to it as moonshine, this pure clear liquid is high-proof distilled spirits and has a history of being created under the vise of illegal method in order to avoid heavy taxation. Jamie Grosser, owner of Popcorn Sutton Distillery, said, I've read that about 80% of all operating farms in America had an operating moonshine still on the property. It has been around since the birth of America. But then you had prohibition, and now you're seeing a huge resurgence. Moonshine tasting is a recent phenomenon in Gatlinburg. It's celebrated, even paraded around as a tourism must. Tennessee is no stranger to moonshine. It's literally built into our fabric. For example, the line in Rocky Top, the one talking about we get our corn from a jar, that's direct reference to moonshine. But going back to the visit with my wife in Gatlinburg, I couldn't get a certain story out of my head. Even with all the wonderful memories that were made, this story kept ringing its ugly head around every corner. It was a story that my grandmother told me about five years ago. Patricia Nairmore Merritt was born, married, raised a family, worked, retired, and still living in McMinnville, Tennessee. She worked in the kindergarten class at Westwood Day School. We just celebrated her 80th birthday last month and threw her a surprise party in which the entire room was filled with so many of those people. She is well-loved by the entire community. 
everyone refers to her as Granny Pat. That's right. A lot of people call me Granny. People that have no relation to you call you Granny. That's exactly right. I guess I shouldn't tell this, but I went to uh, hear Glenn Ramsey up at Campaign Year Before Last with Mickey Whiteacre, I believe it was. And, of course, I've had cancer and my, my hair turned white. And when I went up to Brother Ramsey, I started to tell him who I was. And he said, you don't have to tell me who you are. He said, when I was at Bobby's, you come in with three sons that was dressed in suits and ties and had a Bible in their hand. And two little girls that's all dressed alike, and they too had a Bible in their hand. And during church, they took the songbook out and they sang, and they never got up and moved. We're going to start with Patricia's story and how she was introduced to the mystery of Slim, of his life, but most unsettling to me, his death. I was four years old, and dude was nine, and he was in the barnyard with a mule Jake. The barn was sitting right out here in front of the house where I live now. And five years later, I was with my daddy on that day, and we, he delivered socks to be sewn from the hosier mill to different people, and we were going to Deerpool. And that's the first time I met Dude, was when I was four and he was nine. Then when I was nine and he was 14, we moved to the forks of the Old Smithland Yeager Road. So I was the kid pestering a teenager and all the boys in the neighborhood always came and sat in the front yard in chairs and drank cold drinks and put the bottles in the yard, and I had to pick them up. But, and my daddy put a basketball goal in the yard for the boys to play on, and where the county shit is, he fixed a baseball field for them to play baseball. So I grew up with a lot of people, but then when I was 14 and dude was 19, we had our first official date. And my mother didn't want me to ride in the car with him, so we walked to Bobby's Branch Church of Christ and went to church. I just wanted to explain, there's going to be some pauses in this interview because this story is near and dear to my granny's heart. And sitting there, listening to her tell the story, it was very moving. So listen in. So from then on, and he went into service, and I went to see him in Georgia when he was down there, and then he was in Texas, and then he went to uh, Italy and two or three places he stayed over there. I wrote him a letter every day and mailed it in the mailbox. And I won't get into things that happened about that, but anyway, when he came back, we started dating again, and we went to see Joe Gray, 
on August fifth, uh, uh, no first, I guess it was, and asked him to come and marry us because he was the preacher that when we first started dating here at Bobby's Branch Church of Christ. And he was holding a meeting. He lived in Valdosta, Georgia, and he was holding a meeting in Grootley up on the mountain. So Dude and I went to ask him to come to marry us at Christmas. And he hugged me when we was talking up there on the mountain. You couldn't hardly hear for the crickets and the katydids at night. But anyway, he Joe put his arm around me and he said, you do know that people get married early than what they plan to. He said, you're gonna get married on the 6th, which was a Thursday, August 6th. And he said, because on Friday, I'm going to New Zealand. So we planned already in five days, and I called everybody that we invited, and we went to John High's and see if we could get married then. And the people up there said, yes, there was no one that had passed away, that that would be fine. So, and it was the old house then, it's been rechanged. But I went in with my dress, I had bought it, Nashville, that was in, on sale, very much on sale. <laughs> but anyway, we uh, had the people that do coached at Northside in basketball, three of them was in our wedding. And uh, I had one of the young ladies that dated Malcolm Pettigo, Sandra. But uh, we, I was getting dressed in the front on the side where the Central Church of Christ is. When you went in those double doors, it was right on the right. And that big, tall gold mirror was in that room. Mm -hmm. So I closed the door and I was getting dressed and John Hyde had been sick and uh, he hadn't been up the funeral home in a while. But he come to open the door. I was getting dressed. He said, oops, you don't want to see me now. <laughs> I said, no, I'll talk to you after a while. So he closed the door and he went back to talk to dude. And uh, which the chapel that they had then was absolutely full. I had called everybody to come to our wedding. And uh, Miss Cormetta, that played piano at the First Baptist Church, and she was the first lady that ever did my hair, give me a permanent, and uh, played the piano. And Jerry Devonport, who I always loved to hear him sing, sang at our wedding. And uh, it was exciting and uh, the lady that uh, took our pictures was uh, Miss Hughes took pictures of our wedding and 
one of the men that I had worked for at Hastings, Thurman Hastings, him and his wife took a video of our wedding. And uh, then we had the reception at uh, my mother and daddy's on Lynn Street. And uh, we just had all kinds of fun, I guess. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we, uh, we uh, took a two-day honeymoon, I guess you'd say. We drove up to Gatlinburg and back around and back home. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we uh, it's amazing that I'm still on the, the front yard is where the big barn was for the first time I ever met dude. And I've been living here 55 years, I guess it is. And uh, somewhere that's called roots. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is home. <laughs> yeah. Yes, my grandmother really did get married in a funeral home. John High, who was the owner of High's funeral home, when he accidentally walked in on my grandmother dressing, after that, he went to talk to my grandfather. This is where the story was told about what really happened to his father, Slim my great-grandfather. Padud's daddy died in September the 19th, 1937. And uh, he was only 34 years old when he passed away. He was a taxi driver in Warren County area or in McMinnville area. And uh, he picked up moonshine and carried it to the people, well, the uptown people, and around uh, when they asked him to go get it. They didn't go buy it, but they bought, he went and bought it for them and brought it to them. So uh, anyway, it was, that was one of the things that John High had told Pa Dude about his daddy. And then when Dude was only two years old, his daddy was killed. And John High told him that his daddy didn't just die, that he was killed by someone in McMinnville. Apparently, that was the way we understood it, that, that he did he did things for the, Padud's daddy did things for the people in the McMinnville area. And he, like I said, went and bought moonshine for them and carried it to them. And they didn't go buy it. <laughs> yeah, there was uh, a certain person that uh, always had moonshine to sell and uh, pretty close to downtown. And uh, so that's where he went and picked it up, and he took it to the people that wanted him to go buy it for him. Hmm. And then, so strange. <laughs> yeah, Ed. that's what we were told that he was shot. But uh, we never did 
course, dude was just little. He never, well, he was two when that happened to his daddy. Yeah. So, and the, he had two brothers, and uh, Bud was uh, four years old, and Sonny was six years old. Dude never talked about it at all. Yeah. About what happened to his daddy. Yeah. But anyway, it's, I'm sure it was a, well, like I said, he was only two years old, so he really didn't remember his daddy at all, hardly. Right. Uh, but, uh, but it's 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 really sad that uh, that dude's daddy had to die, like he, that he yeah. was told he died. That was pretty yeah. sad. I know. Cause it 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 ruined their life completely. Take a minute to listen to a word from our sponsors. Stolen Lives is a podcast dedicated to sharing the stories of the missing and murdered, those whose lives were stolen, those whose stories you may not have heard before. Imagine tucking your child into bed, giving him or her a kiss goodnight, perhaps reading them a bedtime story. As a parent, we all have our own special nighttime routine, a bond between parent and child. But whatever your routine, it all ends the same way, turning off the light and walking out of the room, leaving your child to drift off to sleep in the safety of their own bed. Now imagine if you woke to find your child missing, no longer in their bed, not even in the house. They have completely vanished. You'll hear these stories and more on Stolen Lives. Listen to Stolen Lives podcast on Apple Podcasts, the Acast app, or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Search Stolen Lives on your favourite podcast app. Listen to what's coming up next week on the Moonshine, Murder and Mayhem podcast. That is interesting. Yeah. Uh, all these coincidences after his death. It, it does lead you. I'd have to say that something else was going on that the family tried to keep quiet. There's a little bit of speculation, you know, around this area. You know, a lot of folks were known for running moonshine. For listening to the Moonshine Murder and Mayhem podcast. If you have any information, please contact us at moonshinemurderandmayhem at gmail.com or message us on the Facebook group. <laughs>